Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about relation dynamics, relationship dynamics, and chemistry. Already, you see how this is going to go. Um, one of the things I think that uh, people uh, in fandom really take up and notice and latch onto really easily is the chemistry between actors and actresses, because pairings and OTPs um, tell us that. Like you can, you can, you can look at two actors on screen. I was like, oh my God, their chemistry is banging. We have to go write this sex right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Why aren't they already having sex? <laughs> you know, because they had this really awesome chemistry. Um, and uh, so it's, um, but then conversely, if they have no chemistry, it's appalling to see them on screen together, which is why a lot of times when, um, Every time, like when they're doing, like when they're putting movies and TV shows together, they, they do screen testing with actors to see how they're going to respond to each other, to, to see what kind of chemistry they have to work a scene. And sometimes um, they, they make a decision during this casting um, that's a big, stupid mistake. And other times the actors have great chemistry um, on screen and hate each other off screen or conversely have terrible chemistry on screen and hate each and and love each other you know they're just like oh i just he's my favorite but they can't they just don't work on screen together um or it can develop over the series i think one of the reasons why um in ncis the tony Genozo um gibbs pairing was so popular is because mark Harmon and michael weatherly had great chemistry when the show started mm-hmm. but i think as the show went on and weatherly became frustrated with his character's development that their chemistry suffered i agree so you're a little low i can't I have a hard time hearing you is that me or you i'm um i mean it, it, it was me my okay, headset had gotten turned down we turned down okay um bit. i mean if you look at like care like actors that like jump out as like the minute they're on screen together they have good chemistry it's like it was like tyler hecklin and dylan o'brien um their chemistry together is amazing to the point that we kind of like were really hoping Derek was closer to Styles' age, right? Because it was like, whoa. Um, in the X Files, there was so much chemistry between um, Fox Mulder and Alex Krychek that you know it became a huge ship. Even though Alex Krychek was in what like six to ten episodes of the entire series, <laughs> but it was like, boom! It was like, whoa, <laughs> baby, whoa. Um, so sometimes chemistry is just something that is, I mean, but like I thought, like in the movie Dirty Dancing, I thought that um, Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey, that's her name, right? I mm-hmm. thought they did, I thought they were fairly good together on screen. It wasn't, it wasn't like electric, but they were pretty good together. And then you find out that they drove each other crazy. Right. Um, and, and that actually speaks somewhat to, to the, to their skill that they drove each other bonkers. And yet they, um, we've also been, you know, very, into um hannibal lately we've we've not just leaned into we've kind of draped ourselves over it uh and and as a sole reason guys it's it's the actor's chemistry because if it was jodie foster and and anthony hopkins it's like no we'd be writing that well there'd be a couple people but not not anybody here so but the chemistry between mads and hugh is is just like fire it's it's something else i mean if i was a significant other one of them i would be like are you you're sure you're not i mean i don't know if i'm mad <laughs> yes they were it's like crazy 
it, it, it's just so good. I mean, it, it took a while. It did take a while. It took several years for that chemistry to seduce me, um, to seduce me past the, 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 the gross out factor of, of the cannibalism. But it, it just, it, that's how good it is. It takes you past something that for me is kind of a hard limit. So at least it used to be. I, I'm getting for a lot me, more flexible. For me, I stopped watching the show after the first season because um, the chemistry was so, I mean, it was just, I was like all in on it. And the first time he pressed me up against that ladder, I was like, yes, I am 110% into this. I could never watch it again. Right. It's like, oh, <laughs> but I kept damn watching it. it. And then I was like, come on now. Come on yeah. now, stop, stop. But then I had to stop because I knew I would fall in and never get out. And then I fell in three years later. So okay, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. If you, if you go if you go back, like the reason why we have Slash, I think, is because of the original great chemistry pairing, which was Kirk and Spock. And I don't I don't even like, you know, original Kirk, right? So um, but their chemistry was really good. And the same thing with I think in the reboot, their chemistry was also good. The two actors who were chosen. I think they they chose them to make sure they had good chemistry. And it's just Yeah. Chem um, chemistry is really between important. Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto or Quito or yeah. I'm not, I'm not, yes, Quinto. 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 Is, is it Quinto? Just, yeah, Pinto is actually the RFP the RFP name for the pairing oh okay that's terrible <laughs> pines and quinto but yeah i mean zach and chris had this amazing chemistry and they were obviously very good friends off screen as well and so it's just like y'all need to stop <laughs> yeah uh, yeah arthur and eames definitely definitely because sometimes sometimes i think fandoms rise uh, on Especially a movie fandom, because usually when you just get a movie, I think movie fandoms tend to be smaller than like book serial fandoms like Harry Potter and or um, TV show fandoms where you're getting it over and over and over again. And it's reinforcing the chemistry. But sometimes with a movie, what will take a movie into a fandom at all is that electric chemistry between the actor, the actors or the, you know. And so that, I think that's what where Inception is, is, is Arthur and Eames were that for that movie. I remember coming home after watching Inception in the theater and I get on AO3 because I have got to see, I have got to see this, right? I've, I've got to see what they've already done because I watched it pretty late in the theater run and I was appalled actually that at that moment that the more popular pairing Inception was actually Arthur and Cobb. I was like, uh, no, it's no. fuck you. <laughs> Thankfully start, that didn't last long. For starters, nobody has, has chemistry ever in existence with Leonardo DiCaprio. It hasn't I mean, happened. I mean, Kate Winslet managed it. No, no. And she likes him. There's no chemistry. My sister just laughed at that. Um. <laughs> he doesn't even have chemistry with himself. <laughs> mm -mm, mm -mm, no. So chemistry, I think, really is important. And it really, if you if you kind of, if you can see the chemistry, you can feel the chemistry, um, You'll be able to, you'll be able to, it's easier if you can see it and feel it, if you'll do to channel it, right? To channel that chemistry into the story. And I mean, sometimes I like, I like really head tilt sometimes at a pairing. And sometimes an author is just able to make me believe a pairing. They are make me, they're able to, to take a pairing that I don't see and go and make me go, I need more of that. The sad thing is, is usually when it's a pairing that I don't see the potential in, it's usually because there's one story done well, like one, 
that really rocks that pairing. And then you just feel bereft that there's not more. <laughs> it's like, why isn't there just more that's really good? And then you wind up, you know, reading a ton of stuff that doesn't work with that pairing. Cause you're like, I'll just read whatever. And you're like, Oh no, this is a dumpster fire. I can't go on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Queenie, Queenie, do you really want to put the whole podcast in the corner where it, it's so early? That is totally a dumpster fire, Queenie. Um, I I don't think it would be a spoiler to say because we did list the pairing for the um um for the feeding frenzy because we don't I don't believe in bearing the lead that way. I mean yeah. some people wouldn't so, want to read the pairing, but right. uh, I was put, not put actually your, put your hands over your ears if you don't want to hear the pairing just for like a minute or two, whatever. Go. Um <laughs> I was actually I didn't know I about midway through reading, I thought I had my pairing. What was I, it? Um, I was trying to figure out how I was going to get Elliot Spencer and Tony in the same place and, and Elliot not be a problem for Tony because, you know, he can't, he's, never, ethics, he's yeah. rarely met a law, a, a law he doesn't want to break. Right. Right. Um, and I was trying to, that, that was hot. I, I was in it. Um, and then Nimu, 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 um, stole my heart. She did. At uh, Kira read it, and all of a sudden, I get this note in chat. She says, "I've been seduced." And I went, "Did you just read? Did you just read Nimue's post?" And she said, "Yes." And I was like, "Well." And after we got- that moment, the um, the pairing for the feeding frenzy was decided because I was just like, "Of course, it's going to be Spencer Reed. Of, of course, it is." <laughs> and I have never read that pairing before. I've I've read it like once, maybe twice, and liked it. There's more of it that exists than I like, because um, in general, I, it just doesn't it doesn't jump out in my brain that I go, oh yes, that. Uh, but when she but she did she she romanced me with that pairing. I read it and I went, oh, it wasn't the pairing that romanced me the most. I have to say, but it romanced me a lot. I mean, the one that really really rocked me personally was the Tony Chris Larrabee. Um, Really? That was that was yeah, that was the one that I was like, oh. I would and it surprised me too because I wouldn't have uh, so so Ellie really did a good really good job to me of selling that. But I think it maybe to me it it's I was sold more because I know that I I know the show. That I know could that be very well in it. I had never watched Mag- um Magnificent Seven, so I'd have been like Yeah. So I so between the, you know, I, because I've read a lot in the AU and I saw the entire original series, I was like I was really surprised because I was like, oh, I need to, oh, <laughs> I need to get step away from this because, wow. Uh, but I was also really romanced by, um, there were several potential pairings that I thought were really good. But, and I wasn't expecting, even on the potential list, Nimue's, par- Nimue's um, and I don't think she was even trying to. No, no, but there was something about that moment when they meet. And I was yeah. just like, oh. But see, yeah. the thing is, and one of the reasons why I chose it is that Tony went through so much. And he lost so much, and there were other, you know, there were uh, there were obviously other opportunities in the series for for pairings, um, both male and female. But in the end, I felt like he deserved a soft landing, and he needed um, a really intimate, emotionally intimate relationship um, with someone unfailingly honest, and that was Spencer Reed. Yeah, who I wears definitely who, who wears his heart on his sleeve. Mm-hmm. And so it just, you know, yeah, it definitely. I mean, I was, I was really charmed by um, Tony's interactions with Elliot too. Um, I was also surprisingly, it felt. I was also really surprisingly pleased with his interactions with Sebastian Berger. Um, mm-hmm. 
and so there were several, and I, I liked him with Jack as well. Uh, so there were several, like he had good chemistry. P people wrote him with good chemistry with people. Oh, and the Eureka one with Sheriff Carter. I thought that his chemistry yeah. was, really, was really good with Sheriff Jack with Jack Carter too. So there were several moments in the in the relays where I was like, oh, that chemistry. Even though the, you know they're not really trying, it's like it was um it was it was brought out. It was kind of natural. These characters just vibe really well together, and so it was. And the one I, and I didn't even have it on my brain that it, Spencer was going to be one of those characters. And so it really was like feeling like it felt like you're romanced or seduced into, into that pairing. I could, and I could totally see it when Kara wrote me and said, I've been seduced. <laughs> I was like, I and knew maybe, exactly what you're talking about. And maybe if that, if that relay had been earlier on in the series, that it wouldn't have resonated so much. But at that point, Tony had been through so much. And it was just like, you could, you could almost see Tony just breathe in relief at, at just being in Spencer's presence. That just being around this, 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 this really lovely person um, who didn't have an agenda, who, who, who couldn't even like pretend he wasn't out there to recruit him, but it, but it was an accident that they met early. And it was just, he was so, he was so honest and open and, well, yeah, with his heart on his sleeve. And it was just, it was just beautiful. And I think, but if it had been earlier in the series, it, it might not have impacted me the same way, which I think also plays into um, the construction of a relationship. Because by the time the reader gets to Nemu's um, story, uh, which is called Gentle Tides, uh, the reader needs a break too, because it's been a roller coaster and um, lots of things have happened. And, um, and so the reader needs a moment too, like a, a really soft moment, and Spencer provides that. And so it's just, it's, I think it, you know, I, it was just what, you know. But if it had been earlier in the series, I might not have gone back to it, and it would have probably ended up being an Elliot Spencer pairing. So, so you just never know how these things are going to go, right? It just, it, and, and that was, Kira was really careful not to really to let herself be open to whatever, however she was moved by the, by it. So there was no pre agenda about what the pairing was going to be. Which um, is why I didn't do my own relay. Cause I thought that maybe if I did a relay myself, that I would be predisposed to pick my own pairing. Yeah. <clears throat> so when it comes to like finding chemistry between characters and writing chemistry, sometimes you have really good chemistry between, you can write great chemistry between characters who are not, you're not intending them to be romantically inclined together, which is fine. Um, it is just, they really dynamic together. And really, if you're able to do that with two characters who are friends, it, it's pretty easy to translate that into going into writing into a romantic direction. But what I would say is be careful about not forcing it. And I think that um, like sometimes people just like, I don't, I'm like, I don't, I, I sometimes when you like I see a pairing I've never seen before right and there's it's like it's been done one time and I go and I read it and I go well there's a reason why that's been done only one time um, <laughs> that just sound, didn't work out it sounded ridiculous it is ridiculous uh and and I don't know I mean I'm not saying you shouldn't write what you want to write definitely write what you want to write but if you're writing a romantic pairing I don't know why you wouldn't be striving for chemistry and just honestly chemistry is not just putting two characters in bed together that is not chemistry that's just sex and when there is no chemistry and the two characters are in bed together and your story primarily focuses around the fact that they're banging one another it can be a complete dud because 
there's nothing to there's nothing there's nothing nothing substantial for the reader to hook their interest into because if you could just change the names and the kit and the shit story wouldn't be any different it wouldn't feel any different then the chemistry the chemistry is an issue yeah it could be margaret yeah it, it's not just slash though it's not just slash that suffers from chemistry issues people slam together People I think without- some people go out of their way to avoid a gay pairing so much that they put their that they put together a heck couple that makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. It's like when the obvious pairing is gay, sometimes they'll put together their answer to that will be an absurd pairing. And then they'll have all of the chemistry between the two characters. It's just they're just not in a relationship, right? It's like it's like okay, whatever. Um I mean, and there is a difference between a rare pair and an absurd pair. Um, because, And sometimes I think the absurd pair happens just for the sake of originality. Yeah, it, it does. It's like nobody else is doing this, so I'm going to do it. But we've talked before, originality is not a virtue. Um, it, it can be. It, you know, you being original could be a virtue, but striving to be, ori- I shall say, originality for the sake of itself is never a virtue, ever. Pride and Tony do have a great deal of chemistry, but in De Novo, Pride is married, and Pride too, has too much honor for that to happen. So based on timeline alone, that pairing wasn't going to happen. But I see it. Yeah. Because Pride is just delicious. He's delicious. <laughs> He's a very dynamic character, and so is Tony. So, you know, if you write if you write those kinds, you take two characters that are very dynamic, and you put them together, and you, you handle that deftly. Um, <laughs> Shut my whore mouth about what? <laughs> I think it's about I. Th- I think about feeling her um her judgment from feeling you know you know her her Eli um her Eli's emo. No, diary. we we all we all were on board the the Eli Eli Gibbs train. We all, but it was. But again, there's a difference between a rare pair and an absurd pair. I actually probably think there is probably a story out there in CIS that takes Eli David and Gibbs banging each other very seriously. I've not read it, but I'm sure it exists. Yeah, well, the thing is, it is an absurd pair, and that's why it's crack when Queenie writes it, and we find it hysterical because him mooning after <laughs> Eli mooning after Gibbs is like the funniest thing ever. Um, it is. What does he say? What does he call it? His beautiful cock. Yes. <laughs> the implications are so daunting. You know. So, but the thing is, somebody probably there could be somebody's taking that seriously. We really hope not, but somebody could be taking that seriously. Um. <sighs> You know, so I mean, there there are times when it's like, it, it's just I find a, a, a pairing. I'll, I'll look at it; it'll be at the top of my feed, and I'll be like, "No, no." I mean, that's my reaction to it. It's a giant huff and a no because it's absurd, and I wouldn't click on it for love or money. So it's, and I can only <laughs> conclude. I mean, nobody's. It's, the thing is, if it only exists once, it's like nobody sees the chemistry in that pairing, which is why, as Kira said, I assume that somebody's doing it just to be original um there was there are there have been a couple of really fucked up pairings lately in the teen wolf fandom and i'm like why <laughs> why why i, I why? accidentally clicked on a fic once that had styles and scott together as a couple but scott cheated on him with um uh allison and he trotted off to new york and ended up with Derek, which was better and i don't know why i kept i don't know why i kept reading it it's a great story. That's why that's why I kept reading it. But I don't know how I got there because I was looking for Derek and Styles, obviously. And 
I mean, that's the only way I would click on that pairing. Um, the Scott Styles thing is if it if it was them together and then breaking up, because I wouldn't want to read Convivial Bliss between those two. No, Ew. gross. Yeah, and if you don't if you don't want to write sex or writing sex intimidates you or you just don't know how to write sex and you don't have any interest in learning how to write sex, fade to black is always a legitimate option. Yes, that you will have readers that will be pissed with you, but so fucking what? They'll also be pissed with you if Styles wears a blue shirt or his or his hoodie's the wrong color one day. I mean, so you know, you can't please everybody, so so please yourself. Right. I've done the fade to black sometimes when I'm not in the mood to write sex. It's not that I can't write sex because it doesn't, it has to, sometimes it's better for the story. Honestly, some stories, I think the fade to black works better if the story really has absolutely nothing to do with sex. Um, but also you can oversaturate your story with sex. You don't want to put every time your characters have sex, it's on screen. <sighs> for you real. can just, I think sex scenes need to do something for your story. The story, let's, let me put it this way. This is how, there may be other definitions. This is just how I was taught, okay? The difference between erotic whatever, typically erotic romance, but erotic whatever, versus erotica is that in erotic romance, the story drives the sex. In erotica, the sex drives the story. So some people might have a different definition for it, but because the thing is you can tack erotic onto almost any genre. Erotic suspense, erotic, you know, mystery, erotic sci-fi, erotic whatever. But erotica is where the sex is more the focus. So if you're doing an erotic romance where your story is driving the sex, it means that your sex needs to serve your story, which means it, you shouldn't have it all on screen because that's not going to serve your story. That's going to and also, you don't want your reader to be thinking to himself, could he actually have another erection today? Is that possible? Go to Wikipedia. <laughs> How many erections can one man have in a single day? Uh, there was there was one of the Hannibal stories. I don't remember which one, where he goes that he says um, something about like medically that this is how many erections, how many times you can orgasm in one day, and we're going to achieve that. I was like, it was the number was to me implausible, but I, then I started wondering, is that medically possible? And it was it, it, the thing is, it was in character that he would go there. This is possible. We're going to hit it. And it was like okay. I mean, yeah. just kind of redefine sadism, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. I think there comes a point when the last thing you want to do is have another orgasm. Yeah. <laughs> well, is, is it a size that bind universe? Because, you know, overstimulation, edging, that kind of thing. It's a very, it, those could be considered staples of right. a BDSM story. But if it's not a BDSM story, we might need to have a talk about the fact that your character's being had five orgasms in three hours. Your male character, your female character, you know, she could just be really lucky. <laughs> Um, coming like a freight train right so I think when it comes to writing chemistry um, when it comes to figuring out the chemistry for starters you got to see it in your own head sometimes I will try out a pairing and I'll like okay I'm going to see if this works and if it doesn't work I'm going to plan to abandon it and back the fuck up because sometimes I don't know until I write it but when it's a when it's a pairing that strikes me as a little bit like this could be maybe work, I give myself room to abandon it if I don't think it's working. And the one I did with like that recently that I thought was um, the most questionable, I really wasn't sure until I got there, was the Tony Thor pairing. And I was like, oh, I don't know. If, <laughs> yeah, that's I, I, 
After anybody read that problem, they're like, really, are you sure? And the thing is, no, I wasn't sure until I got them on screen together. And then I went, huh, okay. Yeah, okay. I, I can do I, this. I answered, I'm, I'm answering a, my flash, my last official fluff bingo to, um, to get my bingo, at least for this period time period. I want to finish my whole card. Um, it's a personal goal, but fluff bingo ends on the 31st. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, yeah, so, the, the ability to call bingo, yeah, it ends on the 31st. So you I mean, guys you can call it me Go ahead. into Rampart. I mean, what the fuck was that? Because all we know about him is the actor and what we've read of Kira's works, right? But the minute that pairing was discussed. You guys talked me into it, right? So I thought, okay, is it really going to work? Because, you know, Randolph Rampart is my original character. I spent a lot of time developing him. But when I developed him, I developed built him as a married man. And I was like, okay, can I do this? Can I do this? And I did it. And I was like, oh, God, I could do this. Because <laughs> it is, like, burning. I mean, <laughs> fire. Oh, my God. I know. And the minute we started talking about it on the podcast that night, I saw it, right? I could see the chemistry. And I was like, hmm. And the thing, and the, the, the thing about that is, I've, we, of course, I've, I have plenty of experience seeing Tony. I've no, all I have is the page, right, for what I know about Rampart, and he's, mm. but it, yeah, it there's, just worked. There, um, there's a moment when they're dancing, and and Tony tells him, you know, you're, um, you're working this, you're really working this dress uniform. Rampart says, I know. <laughs> And their whole conversation is being heard by the rest of the NCIS team on the location that they're at because he took out his earwig, but he kept the mic on. And he he tells it, I really wish I'd turned this mic off, but it's really too late. It's too late. The oh, well, <laughs> it is what it is. We're sure it is with everybody. It, but sometimes it's like, you know, immediately a pairing is going to work. And sometimes you have to get in and, and look at it and work with it and go, is this going to fly? Um, and sometimes you have seen it in practice plenty to know it's going to work. So the question then becomes like, when you get your pairing together, what do you do that, how do you feel out that chemistry or how do you make that chemistry comes through? Cause telling the reader that there's chemistry is not sufficient. You, I mean, that's, you just can't, this is a show tell thing. You can't just say, Oh, he's hot like burning and they're fucking it. That's not selling. It's, it. it's about their um, conversation. Um, mm -hmm how they interact with each other, the the physicality, um, how they're moving in each other's spaces. Uh, does it feel normal? Does it feel um, dynamic? Or, or is it awkward? Because, and you can tell in your writing, if you pay, if, if you can, when it's awkward, it's difficult to write. Mm -hmm. And when it, that was the easiest scene I've written for Tony Dinozo, writing him with a Randolph Rampart. So it has never been that. easier for me. That's interesting. <laughs> I, I mean, but when you look at the when you look at the staples of chemistry, when you look at the staples of flirting, of of body language, of characters, characters in in relation to one another, you know, touching that kind of thing, small touches, body language, you can put little clues about that stuff in to start um, to start selling it to the reader to start showing it without being like super overt. And one of the things I think I can spot with people who are trying to learn to write pairings or trying to get chemistry down is like, cause one of the staples of that is some sort of some level of flirting, right? Some level of verbal engagement with, an, with one another and awkward flirting to <laughs> me is, is one of the hardest things to read. It is. Yeah. I'm like, Oh my God, stop. I've been so embarrassed. It's, it's right. an embarrassment. 
I've actually I've actually been reading Awkward Flirting that it's not the, the characters are really into it, right? So I don't think the clearly the author doesn't know how awkward the flirting is. Where I'm like slinking down in my chair and covering my eyes and reading <laughs> through my fingers because I'm so embarrassed. And it, it's ridiculous because it's not happening. To, I mean, it's not actually happening. So and, and the the best remedy for that, we've talked about this in other things, is read it out loud. Because awkward flirting sounds terrible out loud. It sounds terrible. And if you if you cannot despite whatever acting skills you've got or voice inflection, if you cannot make that dialogue sound good, you need to back the train up and try again. Or just let your characters be natural with one another and display the chemistry in a different way. If you can't, if flirting is not your skill and you're not able to refine it, don't do it because it can smother your chemistry. Bad flirting can smother the chemistry right out of your story. Because I do think people think that flirting is like something they have to do. And it is a potential building block. It is a potential um, staple, a, a way to build chemistry as the characters, you know, their banter with one another. That can be part of it. But if it's bad, the chemistry, you're not selling the chemistry. And bad is bad is like a really subjective term. But if it's awkward. And the thing is, no one got turned on with awkward flirting. So just try reading it out loud. Really do Unless, it. Unless like one part of them is really super awkward and the other one's smooth as fuck. And they're kind of charmed by the awkwardness of the other character. Right. But that's lampshading because that's a case of where the character who is who is not the bad flirt is. And you would have the thought about how charming he found the bad flirting. That he was so awkward it was cute or something like that, you know. Um, or that he found it hot that he kept trying. You know, It can't be all that... spankings and orgasms. That's right, Queenie. It can't unfortunately <laughs> but if you don't know if your flirting is bad if you don't, aren't sure I, i'm not kidding about the reading thing i it, i've so many times like talked to people about awkward an awkward section of dialogue like that and i go you need have you tried reading this out loud they go oh no i i don't find that helps very much well if you haven't tried it how do you know it doesn't help very much and then they say well it's just it's it all comes out super if it all's coming, and they kind of hesitate, and I said, if it all's coming out super awkward, it's because it is super awkward. Yeah, um, I'm terrible with, I, Margaret, I'm terrible with, with flirting directed my direction, but I'm good with seeing it in other people. Like, you know, I can look at other people seeing it, but it's weird. When it gets directed towards me, I completely miss it. Um, so so for me, it's, it's, it's not a problem to write flirting because it has nothing to do with, with me. But yeah, if if, if and, you could, <laughs> and you could you could do that have your have a character who's oblivious to flirting, right? It's like and actually that could be good. It's like you you've got character A keeps ramping up their pickup lines and their flirting gets more ridiculous because the other character just misses not it. picking it up. <laughs> one of my favorite lines recently that I wrote is um, in Stealth Dating One Hundred and One, where where John tells Rodney you know, that he's been trying. <laughs> But you haven't been picking up what I've been putting down. You're just not getting it, dude. I've been trying. <laughs> I sacrificed my flight time for you, which was well, for for me for a man like John Shepard is like a declaration of love. <laughs> mm -hmm. The he took he instead of getting his hot rod time in the jumper, he took Rodney on a tour. Come on, <laughs> catch up, Rodney. That's serious shit right there. And some characters are like that. They will not notice flirting, you know, pointed their direction. They might not even notice. I mean, they might just need the character to come on right out and go, look, it is exhausting trying to seduce you. So 
if there's a chance, if there's a chance that you're interested, could you just, you know, let me know? Because I, I can't tell if you're just, if I'm really bad at this or if you're just really obtuse. <laughs> at that point, I think that what you could do with a scene like that is it is exhausting trying to seduce you before you is completely out of the other, the character's mouth. The other character should just be like in their lap. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's all you had to say. You were trying to seduce me. Why don't you just say so? You didn't have to go to all that effort. I, I'm really straightforward. And they could be the like, yes. in school of thought. Just show up and offer him dick. That's right. So, flirting can't. I'm so sorry, fandom. Oh, no. I apologize. That doesn't happen often, so so take it as you will. Uh, okay, so Ooh, no, that's too much. Um, so flirting, <laughs> you don't you don't have to have your characters flirt. Uh, it can be a part of it, and if you want to work on developing that skill about writing the ban, you know, it doesn't. It could just be banter, whatever. If you want to write work on that, just psych yourself up to read it out loud till till it gets better. But I would I think the more important part of building chemistry is how the characters are in in this physical space together um do they move close to one another uh do they are there casual touches you know just little things you can indicate to indicate that they are do they crowd each other getting in somebody's space is a very intimate thing and when one character gets in another character's space and the other character doesn't mind it that says something because we're we're kind of designed to kind of you know protect our personal bubble yes hannibal does crowd will constantly we like that and honestly will doesn't protest it a lot no you can tell with other characters in the show um where will um enforces a a, a severe amount of personal space but he never enforces that with hannibal not even like from practically minute one hannibal's all up in his space and and he never really tries to push him out of it even not when Hannibal, even when he's gutting him. Right. Even not even well, the, one of the earliest examples of Will even obviously noticing it. He obviously notices it. Hamill comes right up behind Will and sniffs him. Did and you all just Will smell does me? Is, Yeah, all Will does is turn his head a little bit and go, Did you just smell me? He doesn't move away. Because the thing is, somebody came up behind me that I didn't want in my space and they sniffed me. Audibly? Yeah, I would be <laughs> no, I would not only when I move away, there'd be an instant turning around and it'd be like with, you know, shoulders up a little bit, you know, getting into a defensive posture to be like, did you just smell me? You know, it wouldn't be just kind of hanging out going, oh, did you smell me? <laughs> I mean, yeah. even, when, even when Hannibal stabs him, Will still hugs him back. I just, what's wrong with you, Will Graham? <laughs> he really liked him in his face. That's what it was. So, <laughs> so you can convey you comfort can... from him in that moment. Yeah. Even in Hannibal's portrayal, he sought comfort from him. Well, if I'm going to die, I might as well die in your arms, which, I don't know, is that really romantic or just really tragic? Uh, Depending on how you view the finale of the show, they did die in each other's arms. Yes, they, they actually, they, yeah, they did. So, you know, you have to, th that little, those little, the little physical things are more important even than what comes out of their mouth. As long as you don't have really, really bad flirting that is smothering all of your careful, I I think that would probably the saddest thing I could see in in something would be really really good physical dynamics that are just drowned out by bad flirting. 
If banter is not your jam, there are ways to flirt without writing banter. I see people try to write banter all the time that it just comes off as mean spirited more than, do you know what I mean? Yeah. More than like, more, yeah. more than like a banter. And I don't know if it's their, if, if their, their poor sense of humor or um, just that they're bad at dialogue, but it comes off awkward and sometimes mean. Um, yeah. So if you don't have a sense that you do that well, you can, it's definitely something you can work on developing, but I, you don't want to drown out if you're doing really good with that physical dynamic, which I think is more important than actually what comes out of people's mouth. in, in some ways, if you're, if you're managed to, you know, definitely convey all that physical stuff, the space crowding, the casual touching, the sniffing, if you want to drown that out with, with, you know, aggressive banter, uh, is, is not, I don't think it's doing your story a, a service. It's not doing your pairing a service either. And also you have to look at your characters. When I was constructing Tangled Destinies, Jim is a very outgoing character and, and Spock is reserved. It's, you know, he's he's half Vulcan. He's he's grown up on Vulcan. Now he's on Earth and he's having to adjust. And um, Jim is interested in him th the moment they meet. But Jim is emotionally intelligent enough to realize that he can't go full force at Spock the way he might another human being or another Betazoid. Um, so he's going to have to, you know, bring his A-game. <laughs> to the situation and it's like and, and he makes his intentions really really clear the first time he puts his hand on Spock and it's like this is like a really intimate gesture and he knows it and he does it very deliberately so that Spock isn't confused because um, with a character like Spock you don't want him to be confused because it could end up he could get hurt if he does if, if he isn't sure what your motivations are so Jim wanted him to be very wanted it to be very clear. This is this is what I want, and I'm willing to indulge your glacial <laughs> courting rituals to get there. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it's you're right. If if Spock had been another Betazoid, um, Jim would have gotten laid day one. <laughs> <laughs> but he wasn't. So. When you're constructing a relationship like that, and you got to keep in mind that, you know, how young they are, um, Jim's experience with other people, like, you know, his him, his emotional intelligence, both as a Betazoid and um, having a lot of interaction with lots of different species and people because of what his father does for a living. Um, and Spock's relative isolation, um, because, it, um, um, because he's half Vulcan and because he was raised on Vulcan, and a lot of Vulcans his age didn't want to interact with him. And then when they did, it wasn't good interaction. Um, so you have to, you know, I, I strive really hard to make their relationship um, emotionally intimate and before it was ever physically intimate. And so I hope I succeeded at that. It's just, it was, it was a difficult line to walk. It was a very fine edge. Yeah. Because the characters themselves have a great deal of chemistry when they're adult. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so... Because people can actually take characters that have on-screen chemistry and rob them of their chemistry, mm -hmm. which is also not. And sometimes that is through things like assholeish behavior, or aggressive, what I would call that aggressive banter, where it's it's more mean-spirited or spiteful. Um, so you just got to be careful. Uh, and that's where reading your dialogue aloud, out loud again can be helpful, is because you should notice when you read that kind of aggressive, spiteful line out loud that it might not be coming off as as you intended it. And I see this particularly a lot with female characters that are made super bitchy in the interest of making them, you know, strong, whatever the 
fuck that means. Because yeah. bitchy, bitchy and assholeish is not the same thing as strong. And I, you see it with independent Harry trope sometimes, or independent Tony trope, um, where they're they become assholes in the you know abusive assholes. Abusive. Assholes. I see it a lot in Tony's um, case where um, either he's throwing a ginormous fit in the bullpen and acting like a toddler. Um, and expecting everybody to deal with it and accept it and um, as their punishment for their behavior or um, he's just a complete abusive bastard and you're like what have you done to our unicorn <laughs> mm -hmm. do not sully the unicorn <laughs> he does not throw staplers <laughs> he does not commit treason he does not you know he doesn't <sighs> He doesn't inappropriately overshare with anybody who will sit still and listen. It's just ridiculous. So you have to, you have to be careful about how you're making your character, how you're asserting their independence or how you're writing them. Cause all of these things. And the thing is people will take that, you know, I've seen people take like really aggressive banter or really aggressive kinds of comments towards, towards the, the let's say the character that, you know, let's, let's use Tony's example. Let's say Tony is saying that kind of stuff to McGee or Gibbs or something. And then you'll, they'll turn right around and use the same kind of language towards his love interest. And I'm like, I'm confused. I'm super confused. And I think that's a case of not having a really well-developed, um, as Kira's called it, the head voice for dialogue. And that's where you knew it is a learning ground. And I know it makes people uncomfortable, but it's going to come up a lot tonight about reading your dialogue out loud. I don't actually enjoy reading any of my work out loud, but I did that work early on when I was younger so mm -hmm. that um, to, and I, of my writing skills, you know, what I bring to the table, I think there are a couple of things that I do really well and dialogue is one of them. And having that character and being able to pick out your character voice. When I was writing Ascendant, I, when I was approaching the scene with Danny, um, where, where Danny comes to get Steve um, when he has his zone out in the coffee shop, I worried so much about getting Danny right because he's got a very distinctive voice and a very distinctive language pattern on the show. And I was like really, really concerned about it. And when I got there, it was easy as pie. I was like, why did I have, why was I so, so silly about that? But then, you know, you don't know till you get there, right? Yeah. It's been a long, I mean, I would say 99% of the time anymore, I don't need to read my dialogue out loud. Um, yeah. It just dialogue yeah, actually. For a while, there'll be a moment where you're like, your head's tilting, sure, you're yeah, doing the I porn need, tilt. Yeah, <laughs> I need to be sure that this dialogue flows the way I think it does. And so I will stop and read it out loud. But considering how much I write, I read a very significant portion anymore out, line, out loud. But there was a time where I read all of my dialogue out loud to kind of put it through like a, like a quality check, you know, make sure this sounds natural. But now. But that's the work of years. Right. But now my dialogue's the fastest writing for me. I mean, I can, I can, my, my fastest sprint ever, and I'm not saying this, this isn't even humble bragging. This is just what it is. Um, my fastest 20 minute sprint was 1400 words. And that was all dialogue. It was a dialogue heavy scene. And I had, I knew exactly what I needed to say. I knew exactly how it was going to come out. And it just, it just Boom. went. Now, some people might be questioning, is that even possible? Well, I type over 100 words a minute. And if I were full on typing for, for 20 minutes, that would be 2,000 words. So yes, 1,400 words is completely possible. It's just you usually don't write that as fast as, as fast as you can type. So 
dial that's how dialogue flows for me is it flows very easily anymore but that as Kira said it, it was the work of years and years of practice to get to the point where it flowed that naturally now i do refine my dialogue when i go back and edit of course because that's what editing's about is refining things making it smoother because sometimes i put more pauses in the dialogue than i need to or um i make things things sometimes i I've, I've punctuated things that it comes that it looks choppier than i intended it and sometimes just putting a comma and a conjunction in in place of a bunch of periods can smooth out the flow in dialogue but i see that i see that by looking at it now as opposed to having to say it out loud but i've read hundreds of thousands of words out loud to get to that point Maybe I should start reading my action scenes out loud. <laughs> no, that would just Maybe actually make it worse. Maybe it would just be more awkward if I read them out. I don't know. Because I already read like stereo instructions. I'm not sure if it'd get any worse. <sighs> I don't think they read like stereo instructions. You are your own worst critic. Yes, you are. Okay. So I think when it comes to um, writing sex, it takes a lot of practice to write sex. I'm not going to make any sex practice jokes. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I mean, but it does take a lot of practice to write sex scenes because, I mean, they do. I mean, you know, there, there are just so many ways that you can put um, tab um, A in slot B, okay, or C. Um, so you have to, like, you have to figure out what you're comfortable with, what kind of language you're comfortable with, if you're comfortable with it at all. If you are actually personally deeply uncomfortable with sex, I think writing sex will be difficult. Um, and don't torture yourself that way. Just don't write them. Fade to black is always an option. And no matter what your reader might anticipate or expect, you don't owe them any sort of scene. You don't owe them a sex scene. Um, you don't owe them a big um, come to Jesus meeting or moment. You don't owe them Tony having a fit and telling everybody what he thinks of them moment. You don't, you don't owe your reader anything like that. Uh, so whatever it is that you stumble over, either you work on it or you work around it. Yeah. Now I've gotten some feedback on occasion. Like people sometimes are, I think generally people are pleased with the way I handle Tony. Um, the people who follow me, I, like the way I write him, or they wouldn't follow me and continue to read stories I put out with Tony. But um, I have gotten sometimes occasionally feedback from new readers that I don't give them some of the id moments that they've appreciated in other writers, like Tony blowing up and being verbally abusive to the team. Now, they don't use the word verbally abusive, but they want a big smack smackdown. That's the word. They want a big smackdown scene where Tony tells everybody off. And They've gotten that in other stories, and that's fine. But I, um, there have to be a really, really good reason for me to write Tony behaving that way, because I've come to loathe the term SmackDown. I, yeah, I mean, it. Ha there are stories I've written where you could argue that yeah, that happens, but it, it's not the way people want it. They want this really big where Tony just vents on people, and I just don't write that. He's a for starters, he's a grown up. So that is not the way I write because I try to write Tony as 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 an actual adult who is capable of emotional ma managing his own emotions. So, um, but so I have gotten like this, and it, if I were concerned about reader expectation, I could have you know bowed to that pressure. And this is something I think people don't think about when they bow to the pressure of of somebody who's really loud about wanting something. I could have bowed to that pressure and written that kind of thing, but might not some of my other readers find that characterization unrealistic and they might just 
like it. So I write him the way I see him. I don't write with the goal of reader service in that regard. And so it, it's, you have to kind of put aside people's expectation of your writing. And I've talked to so many people who struggle with sex scenes who say, but it's a slash story. People are going to expect sex. And it's interesting because I've, people I've talked to who write het, I don't hear that as much. I don't hear that, that sentiment over the many years that I've been doing this. I don't hear the sentiment about, but it, it's a, it's a het story. People expect sex. It seems like the fade to black is, is, I do think it's a perception more than anything that there's a perception that it is less acceptable in a slash story. Um, but that's just not true. You can, other people's expectations of your work don't matter. And if you're not comfortable writing it, don't do it. If you're not comfortable writing it, but you want to, that's a completely different thing. You want to get comfortable. You want to push yourself in that area because you do want to write sex scenes. That's different than you're doing it just because you think people are going to expect it. And what I would say about learning to write sex scenes is start off simple. Mm -hmm. um, give yourself a goal. Say, I want to write a sex scene that's three paragraphs long. Gloss over the details. You don't need to document every thrust. <laughs> every, every you know, you, your characters. So that a, a three paragraph sex scene is your characters are kissing. Next sentence is they, they stumble into the bedroom, pulling each other's clothes off. Um, next sentence, they're on the bed. Next sentence, um, you could allude to prep rather than spell it out ex ex extremely explicitly. Next sentence, they're putting the condom on and sliding in. Um, next sentence, they're moving together and kissing, um, building to the crescendo, building to climax, whatever term you want to use. Um, then you gloss over the pulling out, the disposing of the condom, which literally nobody ties off in real life. Um, and then they're cuddling. Yeah, I've bed. never had you um, um, tie one off. I've never. Ever. I don't ever. know what that is in Slash Man. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what you guys are doing there. I don't know what that is. Every time I see somebody getting up and tying off the condom, I'm like, why the hell would anybody want to do that? It's like, usually it's like, get a tissue and try to get rid of it as quickly as possible. I mean, that not, is actually, physically, that would be very awkward to do. Yeah, not sit there and fondle it, it for would be, a while while you try to tie it off. Like a like trying to tie off a knot in a slippery balloon. Yeah. Now, I'm sure. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there have been times when I... <laughs> my my sister just stomped out here and it stood there in front of me looking huffy and said ew <laughs> sorry Kara says sorry <laughs> but nobody does that okay it is something I see in fan, fan fiction and I'm pretty sure I've absorbed it at some point probably put it in some past work where the condom was tied off but I'm pretty it, sure I probably did too it's ridiculous it's, though I don't know never, why I did it's it it's never it's never happened it's never happened people don't do that in real life it's just like if, think about it folks just think about it uh -uh. so you can or if write they do it they learned everything they know about sex from a fan fiction right but you can write a very sensual sex scene in about eight to ten sentences is it going to be super explicit no but it could be very intimate it could convey what you want to convey it could it could foster the the growing um sense of chemistry between them um, you, and you know, you put in the right details there about like, if you want to foster intimacy, um, and chemistry, you focus less on the thrusting and more on the face touching or the kissing or, uh, that kind of thing. And the thing is, don't force it. 
get it out. Even if it's, even if you're just sitting there cringing going, this is so awkward, get it out. And it is easier to refine that in an edit to kind of put in those central details and kind of weed out the awkward language when you're not right in the middle of it. Get, get those eight sentence, eight to 10 sentences hammered out or banged out as the case may be. Mm-hmm. Bang out your 10 sentences. You got three or four paragraphs and, and then just, keep going. And when you get back in your editing, which editing is a different mindset. We've talked about this before. Um, editing is that, that way you can look for your opportunity. Where can I put more gestures like cupping somebody's face and rubbing into the thumb along the cheekbone or foreheads pressed together? Or there's a lot of little gestures that you see people write that f- are about intimacy more than sex. So know what kind of sex also- you're trying to tell. Sometimes, depending on the writing and the characters, a paragraph of two people kissing can be more erotic than six paragraphs of two people fucking. Mm -hmm. And I would rather have two paragraphs of really intimate, you know, kissing and and touching than 3,000 words of really mechanical sex with no honestly i don't want three thousand words of sex ever i don't i mean i have a friend who's super into very long sex scenes i when i run across a story like that no matter what the fandom is i'm like this this is for you because <laughs> i'm like this if is I'm, your jam right here i'm like scroll scroll oh my god are they still fucking scroll scrolls oh dear god scroll, <laughs> scroll let me get this link for her I need it. Honestly, my longest sex scenes are in ties that bind, and they're more to do with the BDSM elements than the actual penetration. Right, because BDSM is different. Because it, it's sort of like you know, it's saying BDSM happened. <laughs> hmm, really? Not did quite it? The same? It's not <laughs> quite the same. That's that's a very different. That's kind of niche. And if you're not, if you're struggling with sex, you do not want to jump on the BDSM train. Okay, I, I'm just that. That's that's like it. That's next level get the sex down first and you can worry about bdsm later but i mean i read a story that had i I did clock it it was seven thousand words the sex scene one sex scene and um wow i wrote her i said the sex scene seven thousand words she says it well written and i said i don't know (laughs) i have no idea i stopped reading but this is for you here's your link Here, here you go have fun she finally wrote me back a, like days, days, days later, and she said something like it was a little too, a little too detailed. I'm like, a little, a little. <sighs> it's like six thousand words too detailed. Yeah, so that's a don't don't just don't think that you need um that much because that's ridiculous. Um, you know, honestly, that's that's writing sex for the for the sake of writing sex. And while I do tend to write sex, I don't tend to write erotica all that often. No, not really. You write erotic something, you know, because your your sex is usually very explicit. So I, you know, it's not it's not like a sensual romance, right? Which no. I you, I think you do that too, but you tend more towards the very blunt. So if you think of like a sensual sensual sex scene is more like R rated, whereas an erotic sex scene is more like NC seventeen. It's very explicit. And Kira, ten, I think you write the sensual, but you tend towards the more erotic. That's because you know what it is. I don't know. There what was a point in my time in my life where I thought to myself, I can never, as long as I live, refer to the penis as his hardness Ugh. ever again. And I was like, "Fuck it, it's a cock." And then I just went all in. It was just like this moment. I had this moment where I was like, "I can't. I can't write shaft again. I can't. I mean, erection's okay, but what? No, not not repeatedly. Cock. It's a cock." <laughs> I just. 
It was just a breakthrough. The rigid manifestation of his desire. <laughs> and those euphemisms were driving me nuts. They were literally driving me nuts. And I could not handle it one more moment. And I was just like, I'm done. I'm done. It's a fucking cock. <laughs> and it's been a cock ever since. Honestly, I hate the term member. I, Jillian. by the way, I, I, these are, these are in published works. These are, in, I've read these I know they in, are. I read these in books. I'm not making these up on the, on the fly like Azure does. Seeping Southern Slit was straight out of a book. I mean, and if you read, mem I mean, if you use member once, that, that's enough. You, you get once. Just for like, just to kind of, you know, give, um, give yourself some variety. But come on. <laughs> so, some people are really in the purple prose. If purple prose is your jam, that's fine. It is, it is not mine. It never will be. I would rather be vague than go to purple prose. Vague would just be, you know, things like um, he slid into his lover, you know, moving slowly or something like that. That's vague without edging towards euphemistic. You can be vague and not be euphemistic. I don't Whereas like ten dollars. Explicit would be he pushed his cock into his lover's ass. <laughs> right. Euphemistic would be he, you know, he pushed his. I would say member or hardness is euphemistic. Um, turgid sword is purple prose. So you know, do you want? So, so you you need to know what kind of writer you are. Are you explicit? Are you vague? Like I said, vague is fine for me. I can deal with vague and explicit. I don't like euphemistic and I don't like purple prose. So which and are I you? I would actually not to never see the penis referred to as a weapon. No. Um, it's, it's disgusting. The implications are terrible. And you don't want your character thinking of his penis as a weapon either. Because those implications are worse. Because I don't want to be around any man that would um use that would utilize his penis as a weapon. Yeah. So figure so, out what what kind of sex writer you are. And if you want to write um if you want to write purple prose, just own it. You need to own that purple prose is your lane and, and get in it. That's fine. I personally don't like it, so I would never even be able to coach anybody on how to write. Ask could baby do ask could teach a master class on purple prose. I don't think she likes to read it though. She likes to make stupid. fun of it, but I still think she actually knows a lot about it. So if you needed help with that, she'd be your go-to. <laughs> the yeah. rod of Cupid, shut up. <laughs> the rod of Cupid. <laughs> you should totally name a story that as the rod of Cupid. <laughs> I'm just sitting here shaking my head. Um <laughs> I promise I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be getting really huffy here through the whole podcast. I'm just gonna be like, <sighs> Kira's gonna be like sending me like like images later about this is what your huff looked like when so and so said so, such and such. I'm be like, yeah, <laughs> that figures. So when when you're when you're writing, did you just see what Ellie wrote in the chat room? Um, I'm sitting here thinking about flag bearers, and then that got me thinking about the standard bearer. <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> let's not do that again you standard bearer okay you. ellie for those of you in the podcast ellie wrote she groaned with desire as his mighty flag of manhood was planted firmly in her fertile field i can't believe i wrote with you that i appeared with you in a series <laughs> her fertile field I, I, i'm not sure who the pov character is how do they know you go to the corner fertile. because nobody's nope no, I'm sure, actually, I can't even say that with a straight face, but 
Let's not think about the vagina as swampy, please. Ever. Anyway, we can <laughs> we- Did you, Ellie? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who he is. I'm sorry. I did not. Re- I did not offer Chris Larrabee's bare ass the respect it deserved. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, really? I had no idea. Yeah. I actually need to watch that show. Yeah, you do. Uh, but we could purple pros could we could we could get very distracted all night by purple pros. I'm gonna ask every every stop on the purple pros. <laughs> um, because I could I could be mildly horrified at any moment. So if you want to write whatever type of writer you are, know what you are, just own it and lean in. And lean in. If you want to write, I would if you if you're not comfortable really writing sex, I would I would personally recommend you try for the vague option and there's nothing wrong with vague until you get comfortable because the thing is once you get comfortable you're going to be more comfortable putting in some more explicit details so it's it's it's, if if it's what you want to do but don't ever feel like you have to um but i I really really agree with with kira that just uh you know a, a hundred words of something that is intimate and really well written that that is shows the character chemistry is way better than three or four thousand words of mechanical sex that has no intimacy and no chemistry. Because while I do tend to write erotic, um, I um, I'm a romance writer, so I I want to see the love. I, I I want to see the intimacy, the emotional um, gain, um, the uh, um, the connection that's being made um, between these two characters, no matter their um, no matter who they are. Um, I have my OTPs, yes, uh, but it, but in the end, it's about their emotional intimacy and connection that I can build as a writer uh, that really inspires me to continue to write and to continue to be open to new pairings and to new fandoms. And some days I question that openness. I'm looking at you, Hannibal, because I have potted, count them, 10 Hannibal projects over the last month. And I blame Emanjer. I do blame Emanjer too. I've only done four. I got some, I'm working on, on the fifth one. But I feel like I'm, I'm, like I'm lagging behind. Although I did have a hundred thousand. I have one. I have, I have two zero drafts and the rest are just cloud plotting. Yeah. But I, I, I did have a hundred thousand words. Re- I'll go ahead, Ad. You re- pray for relay, me. To, relay to finish up. So I was busy. I might need um, it. <laughs> Um, and so one of the things Kaya said, don't be afraid to ask for help for someone else from help with, with your sex scene. Yeah. I mean, you can, you, you can get your sex scenes alpha read, right? Just that. Like, so if let's say you don't feel like you generally need an alpha reader, but you're trying to work on sex scenes, get somebody who, you know, who you like the way they write sex and ask if they'd be willing to give you some feedback. But as with all other kinds of alpha reading, do not take that step unless you're actually ready for it. Because asking somebody for an alpha read is basically inviting a form of critique. Now, hopefully the person's just structuring it more like feedback to you and giving you suggestions, but it is a form of critique no matter how you look at it, right? You're asking them to tell you how it could be improved or, and if you're not ready to hear that, do not ask for it because you're just going to wind up with hurt feelings and it, it might like destroy your, your, your love of that project, at least for the moment, or you might strip your sex scene out entirely. So you know, I, I even for, you know, back in my X-Files days, I ghost wrote people's sex scenes or a couple people I wrote, ghost wrote their sex scenes. I wouldn't do that kind of thing anymore. I'm not putting that out there as an offer, but you know, there are ways to handle 
these kinds of things. Um, and you can get feedback from somebody and say, okay, this is where you could add a little bit more intimacy, or this is where you could be a little bit more explicit with just a word or two. And sometimes a word or two in the right place completely changes the tone of something. And also, there's some things you can avoid in sex scenes. Even if you're being explicit, okay? Even if your sex scene is very explicit, avoid calling out left and right hand, left and right foot. Dude. Because that, if for starters, you can say that he reached up and touched his face, you don't need to say it with, with the right hand. Because once you start getting into a handedness issue, the left and right side, he lay down on his right side, he lay down on his left side, it it, it sets you up to actually create confusion because you're, the reader's going to start trying to visualize it. And the minute you're wrong, it's going to be jarring for them. And also it's unnecessary. You don't need to say he lay down on his right side. He just lay down on his side. You don't need to say he, he you know, stroked his cock with his left hand. He stroked his cock. It's, that's, that, when you get that super specific, it, it, it's, it's you're setting yourself up for failure and it's not hot. Also, avoid super specific mentions about every article of clothing. Once you start keeping track of every article of clothing, the left, right, the, the left sock, the right sock, you know, the pants, the left shoe, the right shoe, the, you know, the underwear. People are going to notice when you forget a sock. And this so, literary strip tease is not sexy. It isn't. It isn't sexy at all. There are ways that a strip tease can be sexy. Like I was working on something the other day where it was an SM thing where the Dom wanted the submissive to just be very, very still. And it was a very slow taking their clothes off scene. But it wasn't about the left sock and the right sock because I would never mention left sock and right sock. It was about something else entirely. But it was also, there wasn't a lot of words put into the removal of the shirt, you know. Anyway, so, but generally, get just get your characters out of their clothes. Don't get too into the details there. Because I've actually noticed, well, what, what about the other sock? Because <laughs> the author forgot, right? They forgot to take one sock off, but I noticed. Is that what they intended to happen? Probably not. Did they intend for me to notice they forgot a sock? Mm-mm. That's what you get, though, for mentioning every fucking sock. Although it needs to be said, and ladies, I don't know why. I've asked more than one man, and they can't really say. My husband says sometimes because his feet get cold. But there are men that will totally take off all their clothes except for their socks. There are women who do that, too. Uh, <laughs> I just, I've never seen a woman do it. But I have seen more than, more than my share of man, men do this. I'm like, take off the socks. But, but no, take off the socks. <laughs> just... I this? see this woman. I mean, I see this woman. She slept in wool socks year round. Wool. I hate wool. Really? I find it very scratchy. And it was like, like it and, she, and she'd want to cuddle up to me and like touch me with her socks. I'm like, and the thing is, I always keep at least one foot out, out of the covers because that's my temperature control. Right. It makes, that makes perfect sense. And she's like, touch me with her scratchy wool socks. I'm like, get on your side of the bed. And she thought I wasn't a cuddler. And I said, no, I just hate your socks. <laughs> I'm all about the cuddling. Get on your side of the bed. But I will say I agree with you. It, it does happen with men more than women. The whole sex I'm like, thing. what is this? But don't do that because it's not sexy. I and saw, if you're a dude I, listening to this, don't do that because it's not sexy. Now, I did read a story. Which I can't remember the fandom. It was a long time ago where they had a couple of characters had sex and they were throwing this detail and I could tell. I was like, I said, I bet you, I bet you like 90 bucks that that character said that the author's husband does this thing. And so they had sex and they're, and they get cleaned up and the one character gets out of bed and puts their socks back on, gets back into bed. And the other character just like, what is the matter with you? He's like, I, I sleep with my socks on. And I'm like, 
this is this is this is a real life insert. This this author's <laughs> husband gets out of bed after sex and puts his put their back socks on. back on. <laughs> I can spot reality when it's crept into fiction. I was I was I was entertained by it. I was entertained. That's I all I remember about the story. Socks tend to fall off my feet. I think I move too much to sleep in socks. Mm-hmm. But okay, Margaret, there there are actually a list of words that you should not include. That, that should not be in the vicinity of your sex scene. And the number one is shit. Especially if you're writing an anal sex scene. I mean, yes, there is a a kink for that. Um, and if you write that, you should fucking warn for it, okay? I am mm-hmm. serious. If you write scat play or golden showers, you need to warn for it. Anyways. Um, but yeah, I mean, and like, outside of most circumstances, you don't want um, to use insulting language during sex, uh, unless you're unless you're writing BDSM and one of them has a humiliation kink and likes being called a whore and a slut, I mean, because it because it takes away from intimacy. When when you make language like that hard in a scene, it it takes away from the intimacy of the scene. So you need to be careful with your characters, in, depending on your characters, um, because there are some characters where you could say, okay. Um, this character would not be at all bothered to be called a bastard during sex. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it, and it depends upon... But this character what, might cry. Yeah. <laughs> it also depends on the context, because horror in bed has a very limited range of context. But if you're if you're the person who's doing the topping has been teasing the you know character for too long, it's like, oh my god, you asshole, would you just get in, get your dick in me? <laughs> right, right. There, so there is context, and context matters so much. But then there's some language. There's some language. There's, there's no appropriate context as far as I'm concerned. And, sh- and shit is that word. I <laughs> try to leave it out of your sex scene, yeah, entirely. Um, now, when it comes to the the degree of specificity, uh, we've talked. We talked. We had a whole other podcast where we talked about um, why readers don't want reality. I will say that most readers. This is a case of most readers don't want re- reality when it comes to sex, and particularly when it comes to anal sex. Um, and prep for anal sex and the cleanup and all that most people most readers don't want it but you will get that reader who who it challenges their suspension of disbelief that you don't call it out and the thing is just because i don't call it out doesn't mean it's not happening it's just it's i don't find it the the hot part of sex is the is all of that so i don't i don't dwell on it but if you i had a reader tell me that um she found my sex scenes unrealistic because i never talk about the semen coming back out of the ass um if my characters don't use protection and i'm like well yes that happens but did you also notice that i don't talk about anything else that comes out of the ass i said my characters eat they drink they shower they fuck that's what you see on screen. Have you ever seen one of my characters go to the bathroom? Oh. So do you honestly want me to spend 30 or 45 minutes writing a scene where Rodney is sitting on the toilet um, expelling semen from his ass? Are you interested in that, really? And the thing is, some readers are. But so said, what? If, yeah, if you are, you're, um, you, uh, you need to go somewhere else and read because I'm never writing that. Number one, it's a waste of my time. It, it, it does nothing. It does absolutely nothing to further my plot. Which is another reason why you'll never see those scenes in my work. My character having to pee serves no point in my plot unless they're driving down the street and there hasn't been a, and they need to go to the bathroom and they stop off at a convenience store and 
all you'll get out of me is they went to pee, then, then they got some Coke. <laughs> they got a Diet Coke or, or Dr. Pepper out of the freezer or the refrigerator. I mean, because it's just like it doesn't make any sense. And while they're in that convenience store, having had, had to go to the bathroom, they get robbed. Because <laughs> otherwise, there's no point in mentioning the convenience store. Right. Those Sometimes things do not serve the plot. Right. Sometimes you mention little things to be kind of like a small beat to indicate who's speaking, right? Like, you know, the character says, what in the world does matter with you? You know, close quote, Tony grabbed his toothbrush and started brushing, you know, and, and aggressively went after his teeth. And that conveys a couple things by saying that, yes, it doesn't matter that Tony grabbed his toothbrush. That is technically an irrelevant detail. But that beat stands in place of a dialogue tag. And you're able to show that he's irritated. Because of the way he's and he's working, teeth. he's in the bathroom. He's, you know, but in general, he's if also you're going put to... something in his mouth to keep to, um, to keep from talking, right? So you conveyed conveyed a lot with what could be an irrelevant detail. Now, where that detail becomes complete completely irrelevant is when you're walking through every step of your character getting ready to go in the morning. He got up, he brushed his teeth, he washed his face, he put some gel in his hair, and you know, it, and one or two of those details might be fine, but when people, these people give them the whole litany, and it's, you're sitting there going, okay. And sex scenes aren't any different you than any provide, other type of... You, you want to provide context, not a grocery list of their behavior. Right. So you can use little details, like, you know, what they're doing while they're, um, you know, I use, in, in, in one of my stories, I use Tony making pasta as um, the action beats. Because I'm moving towards more favoring beats of her dialogue tags because I feel like you can convey more than you can with a he said. Um, but, you know, it, it just depends upon what, what is going on. Sometimes you don't need it to a full beat, right? So, but, you you know, I, I all of his beats, to make sure it was clear about his dialogue, were around making pasta. Because then when he got really irritated, I was able to have him, like, you know, hammering on that pasta dough. So... You can do something like that, but the thing is you don't get into every detail. And that's, I think that's one of the things people have a hard time with is reining themselves in from giving every detail or explaining pasta theory. You know, the science, the science of pasta, nobody cares. They care that Tony's in a snit about. I mean, at this point I'm asking myself, so are you padding your word count or did you spend all this time researching and you refuse to not let me know it? Right, exactly. Or yes. are you trying to bore me to death? Is this a murder attempt? Are you trying to kill me? Julie, she's trying to kill me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> death by death by boredom would be a terrible way to go. I'm so bored. <laughs> um, so if you're a very descriptive writer, like you really like to describe things, right? Like you really like to paint a scene. The authors who do that well know how to do that without it you know i actually still find it i find it tedious often it's not the kind of thing i like to read but the people i can tell when somebody's doing it well versus just describing for the sake of describing right like they're they're, they're describing the things that really impact the scene as opposed to just describing the character getting dressed which is probably not impact meaningful for your story in any way unless their clothes are about to get right back ripped right back off so when it comes to chemistry and it comes to writing sex or it comes to, um, maybe we should redirect a little bit. Talk about how to find in characters that you think might be chemistry, have chemistry together and how to try it out. And, you know, the best way to try it out is to try writing it. Yeah, try writing it. I mean, there's some, two hot guys is not enough for me. Okay. No. 
too hot guy's not enough for me. So when I'm sitting down, to, we talk about Tony being the fandom bicycle. And I think that in a lot of ways he is. There are other characters who are fandom bicycles as well. But, but there are characters that I could never put Tony with. Yeah, agreed. Um, Objectively, I could never write Tony Genoza with, with Daniel Jackson. I mean, maybe a one night stand. But I mean, yeah, that. but not like a romance. No, I don't, I don't really see it. And so sometimes I just kind of have a hard no. I'm like, no, mm -mm, I'm not going to do it. Um, and other times it's more like, well, I don't know. So like how I got to the, the Tony Thor pairing was I was like, am I going to come up with an original character for, for his pairing? You know, what do I have available to me that's canon? And, and so I wasn't sure it was going to work. So the backup was to, if I'd had to, you know, that, that didn't work. I knew Tony, Tony worked. But if if the Tony if the Thor Tony pairing didn't work, I was going to have to have the Tony the Tony Steve pairing not work either because my other option for Tony was Tony Stark. So I'd have had to back up both pairings, um, which was fine. That was my backup plan. But I didn't want to. I'm like, okay, I've got. But who in Marvel could I put him with that works? And really, the only thing that was even remotely possible with what I had plotted, you know, to that point was Thor. And I thought, well, because I discarded you know, other characters for various reasons. I was like, nope, 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 nope. So what am I left with? Thor, could I make that work? Well, I'm going to have to try it and see. And because it was rough trade, I couldn't try it till I got there. Really? So, um, yeah, I could have done a short story or something. But honestly, short stories, sometimes you can do that. You could write a little short to try a pairing out. But sometimes you need, with an uh, odd pairing, you need that whole buildup. Yeah. To, to get there. But the question is, is having done it and having done it successfully, would you do it again? I don't think so. And, 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 the, and the reason is because in that particular case, part of the reason it worked was because of the, I felt like I set up a circumstance that would have made them good potential lifelong romantic partners. Mm -hmm. And unless I had another circumstance that was unusual that basically made Tony immortal, I just don't see the pairing. You know, it, it's, it's just Im improbable. And so because of, because of that improbability, um, I would have to have a plot that, that fixed that. So normally I, I don't pick my pairings that way. So, I mean, it's, but now that I know I can make it work, I conceivably could come up with another plot, but it would probably be a case again of where I had the plot first and was putting the pairing in second, or I had the idea, you know, I had the central idea first. So um, I'm much more comfortable. Like to me, the chemistry between Tony and Tony is, more obvious to me and so that's really easier for me to work with for me sometimes i just move characters around in my brain and see how they would work together and like, well, unless i have an otp and then if, if i have an otp i can't go there like it is you know i actually worried a lot about writing the scene in emotional clockwork uh where john has sex with somebody on screen besides rodney but when i got there it was easy to do because i really liked that character a lot and it was like a a fun sexy thing not an emotional thing for either one of them um it was intimate but it wasn't like um they, it was a getting off thing it was not like you know emotional i'm in love with you sex uh, and there's a difference um, but I thought I would have a hard time getting there, but it was actually turned out to be real super easy, but I had written it in such a way I'd plotted it in such a way that if I couldn't do it, I could just gloss over it, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but it actually turned out to be one of the sexiest scenes I've ever written with John Shepard. 
<laughs> I was like, why is this so hot? <laughs> it's because he's getting so strange in the closet. That's why it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sometimes a one-off sex scene. Cause I could, I could write a one-off sex scene between like Tony and Thor and as you know, it's just a, it's just a thing that I happens. Honestly, write a one-off sex scene with Thor banging practically anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But it wouldn't have the intimacy or they wouldn't necessarily have the chemistry needed to make the romance part fly, right. which is what I'm looking for in a pairing. So one-off sex scene is just, that's a completely different thing than, than picking your pairing. And like prior to, so I, there's, and sometimes there's a lot of things that can affect your head cannon there. Right. So prior to writing, if found, I could have potentially seen the chemistry between Tony and John. Potentially. But the thing is, even when I could have seen the potential in it, I wouldn't have written it unless it was like a one-off thing. Um, and, you know, but I could have appreciated this. There was a small surge in that particular pairing in, in, in the last few years, but I would have a hard time because I do kind of have like a mini OTP of John and Rodney. So it is a mini OTP. It's not like, you know, but for me as a writer, I wouldn't want to not put them together because, you know, it's like even in the background, I would prefer them as a couple than with anybody else because I see their chemistry really clearly in my head. So, but once I wrote If Found, I corrupted my own headcanon. Right. And once you do that, you're screwed. Right. So, you know, that now I always see them as related. And of course, Tony's not going to be banging Rodney because I actually see more chemistry between Tony and Rodney than I do between Tony and John. I agree. Um, I, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't have Tony banging Rodney because that's his, that's his brother's soulmate kind of thing. It's just, it's just not, it's just not kosher. You just don't Stop do that. Touching him. Stop I that. But I what can't. makes a romantic pairing? For me, it is uh, mutual respect, um, physical attraction, um, emotional connection. Uh, well, you know, for me. There's a moment in what might have been where um, John and Rodney are in Rodney's house and um, Rodney, they're, they're making breakfast and John tells him, you know, everything's just easier with you. And Rodney's confused because it's just bacon and eggs. <laughs> He's a very literal person, right? That's not what John's talking about. He's talking about how easy it is to be with Rodney and to be himself and to be comfortable um, in their circumstances, and then an indication that he's had relationships in the past where a morning after would be quite awkward, and that he just thinks that Rodney makes everything easier. Um, and it's about their mutual comfort with one another um, more than it is about bacon and eggs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's important. There's trust and respect and comfort. Um, the ability to relax your boundaries a little um, and let somebody in, you know, boundaries that you would, ha you, that you would, you know, that would you know, like, I don't know, for instance, um, shutting the bathroom door when you pee. <laughs> Married couples don't often. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they don't close it when there's even more than that going on. And it's like, it's like you're sitting there going, we've crossed a line. <laughs> I need my boundaries back, but it's too late. But yeah, I mean, you know, the first time you pee in the same bathroom, your, your significant other is taking a shower in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's a, that's a relationship level right there. <laughs> it's like, hon, I'm coming in to pee. Oh, okay, whatever. It's, usually it's like, they don't even respond, get to the point they don't even respond. It's like, I'm blushing. Wait. Let <laughs> me turn the water away. <laughs> 
so yeah, and that's you know that's those are um, things that you need to think about when you're when you're writing your character. Are they comfortable together? Is there a mutual respect? Um, or do you see the physical attraction? Um, what do they give each other? Because a relationship is give and take. Because if, if they're not, I mean, as human beings, you, you go into a relationship. If you're getting nothing out of it, absolutely nothing, you're not going to want to stay in that relationship. And it's not about being selfish or being self-centered. It's about, um, at the very least, you need companionship out of your relationship with somebody else. Whether it's like a friend relationship or a romantic relationship, you need something out of it. You need to want to pursue it. Does, does that sound terrible? No, it doesn't sound terrible. You got to have a hook. It, you got to have the hook's got to be there. <laughs> you got to have a hook. Yeah. <laughs> so what makes Xander Harris and Daniel Jackson a good pairing in Airman Harris? Um, I think that there, I think there were a lot of factors that I will say though, that in terms of the romantic, the romantic chemistry, I think it worked fine. Um, it, I mean, they got together in implausible circumstances, and Daniel was very um, interestingly pushy about getting to know getting to know Xander, and and they were just he was just very accepting of Xander's oddness, and I think that the the acceptance and the it was a little bit of a role flip for Daniel is that he was very protective of Xander, even though Xander didn't really need his protection. But interestingly, even though it wasn't, I think the the character chemistry in that story that jumped off screen was actually the chemistry between Xander and Jack, which was more of a mentor kind of relationship. Um, but that actually, the, the, the pairing really was, I don't think, I don't, the story wasn't intended to be a romance. So the, the fact that this background pairing worked at all was, was a testament to the writer's skill because it really wasn't um, the focal point of the story. But character well, chemistry. Well, that's not a pairing like Hannibal and Will, um, Hannibal Lecter and Will Graham, and things that they don't have. Um, they don't have honesty. Um, in many parts of, the, of, the, of their story, they don't have comfort. Um, the respect is transitory. Um, they, uh, they manipulate the shit out of each other. Um, the trust should be more transitory. <laughs> um, yeah. But the physical attraction is there like burning, right? From the moment, from the, from the moment. So what is it about this pairing that is so compelling when there's so many elements, traditional elements I would want to see in a romantic pairing that are missing? Well, I think that what the fiction does is it eventually, it, honestly, even the show gets you there eventually. Mm -hmm. Eventually they solve those hurts. But the thing is what's driving you What's driving them to repair all there's a lot of chemistry that is driving them to repair things that would have fractured a lot of relationships. But in the case of Hannibal, um, sometimes it does start with that physical chemistry. And I really think that's there in spades with those two. And we've we've talked about this on another podcast. Is something you know, like the person I've been the, like in my the most attracted to in my entire life was someone I could not stand. Yeah. We had no foundation for anything to talk about, but it was just, it was hot, like burning, you know? And it was like, he touched my hip, I get wet. I mean, it was just, it was ridiculous. I was like, I'm not even, I, I, intellectually, I'm not attracted to you at all. It's just, and things I know it's he felt not the that same. interesting. No, because we, <laughs> we, right? We argued with each other. We argued, we would argue with each other. We, we didn't even like each other. But, you know, and the thing is, I would say, you know, I, I came to the attraction was one-sided because he couldn't keep his hands off me. So, 
like, you sure are touchy for someone who doesn't like me very much. Um, <laughs> but that's just... But the I hate you, but I really want to... I really want grudge you. sex, yeah. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even have a grudge against you, except for the fact that I'm attracted to you. That's, that's where my grudge comes in. <laughs> so sometimes chemistry... Sometimes you've got that, and sometimes the chemistry builds when that isn't there. So when you... So I would say that element right there is the character, the, the pairings you see on screen are the ones that you, where you go, yes, those are the ones that have that physical instant chemistry. Mm-hmm. Other pairings are the ones where you go, I don't know if I see that. Then you read it and you go, oh yeah. And that is a case of, of the author is selling you on it. They're, they're, they're putting these characters together in a way that sells you beyond physical chemistry. It's the way they are in each other's space. It's the way they talk to one another. It's, it's just everything about them together sells you that these two are good together. Um, so I, I think that there's more to, somebody asked in the, in the ask a question, um, is awkward dialogue the only way to determine if the characters you're writing have no chemistry or reading aloud? No, I think that that's just what happens is that awkward dialogue can kill what chemistry you've written. You can build a certain amount of chemistry through the through the dialogue, but I think it's more in the touches. It's more in the other stuff, the chemistry. It's more than just the conversation. But awkward dialogue can be a chemistry killer because that's all anybody's going to see. Is they're going to see like, oh, that is the worst flirting known to man. And if you aren't lampshading it, like you aren't acknowledging that it's terrible flirting, it just like I, I'm not kidding about the slinking down in my chair and trying to hide from the story. I mean, like it would be refreshing at one point if one of the characters would be like, "Oh, look, can we just actually can we just stop this this terrible thing we're doing to each other?" I'd really like to sit on your dick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> great, great. <laughs> your place or mine? <laughs> Anytime. We can even use my office. I I, I usually <laughs> do that kind of thing at work, but. <laughs> I'm so tired of this whole thing back that and forth. This awkward thing we're doing is not working for me. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, how to tell if your pairing has chemistry. That can be difficult because you're too close to it, right? So, uh, if if you're not, if you don't, if you're not feeling it, right? Part of it is, do you feel it? There have been times I'm like, I don't believe for a second that that author feels that these pairings have this pairing has chemistry. I just don't buy it for a second. They're just writing it to write it. Uh, and if you're if you're phoning it in, your your character probably characters probably don't have chemistry. But if you can't if tell for yourself if if the chemistry is coming through, get somebody else to read it for you and say what do you think. But you need somebody who not only will be honest with you about that kind of thing, but has enough experience to be able to be honest in a way that isn't like soul crushing. Because you don't need somebody telling you everything that's wrong with everything you've ever written, um, just because you ask them for an opinion. All these people signing off and say goodnight is making me sleepy. So just, <laughs> I, I'm apparently very suggestible. Um, um, and sometimes I think that uh, it's better to practice on pairings that you're very comfortable with before you branch out into rare pairings or even original characters, which is one reason I, where I think, where this is one place where I think fandom is actually very beneficial to writers because you've gotten. Um, because you have uh, characters that you can play with that you know very well from their canon circumstances. And so it allows you to experiment um, in ways that you wouldn't be able to do with original characters. Unless you spend a great deal of time creating them. Um, so you can do a lot of practice on fandom characters in, in that way. Dialogue, conversations, sex scenes. Various ways to get them together and 
and give them their um, fictional happily ever after. <laughs> happily ever after. We like a good happily ever after. Um, and, and, you know, it can be a, it can be an experiment that you can do when you're reading. Is when you're reading like even a short story. Like the characters are on screen for 5,000 words with each other, 10,000 words, or even 2,000, is look at it and kind of go, do I think these characters have chemistry? And it can be a particularly, particularly telling, actually, in character, in, in stories where it's not the romantic pairing. Right. It's like what what characters and their interactions are jumping out at me and why are they jumping out at me? And sometimes it can be easier to pick that apart in somebody else's work than in your own and and try to figure out why. What is it about that that is doing it for you? What 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 touch or what what body language or what words or what about the circumstances says to you? This is really good chemistry. Even if it's not romantic, because if you know if you've got really good friendship chemistry between two people, that's like a good step towards writing romantic chemistry. Because writing people just connecting on any level is like the first stage of that kind of skill. It's being able to show somebody's connection, to show camaraderie or whatever, and then you can figure out how to take how to take that to the next level and write a romantic chemistry. But you could like just really like look at look at other writing and kind of pick it apart or. Um, if you don't see chemistry, like let's say somebody's got character in bed together and it's just not working for you. Think about why. Why is this not doing it for me? What about this is, you know, and like sometimes um, somebody recommended a series to me and I was reading it. And it's like the pairing was just, it's just like, no. Mm -mm. And the reason why is because there was nothing, the author told me these two thought, that, I mean, it was like so-and-so thought so-and-so was attractive. Character B thought character A was attractive. Character A thought character B was attractive. Character A and character B had some really aggressive flirting. Okay. And that was all, right? The flirting was very aggressive, very suggested. To me, bordering on sexual harassment, quite frankly. Wow. And, and, and that's not hot. Okay. I'm going to put that out there. I've seen this kind of aggressive flirting in many stories, um, over, particularly in the last couple of years. It seems to be a trend in it where the flirting is. It, it goes way past anything appropriate, way past. Um, it, it the, There's sort of like a social contract there, right? Um, you don't just tell somebody you barely know, you know, that if you had their, if you had your druthers, you'd have them like bent over your kitchen counter right now. It's like, that's, that's not hot. That's why I said talk about bordering on sexual harassment. So you just have to be, be careful. Um, I use kitchen counter as, as just you know kind of an out there actually what i had read was it was desk you know i'd have you over my desk right now if if we weren't if there were other, weren't other people here and it's like you just you just met this person why are you saying something like that i don't care how hot they are that is not sexy as i talk about aggressive flirting that borders on sexual harassment and the thing is the other character was receptive to it but there was nothing about this character and the way they had been portrayed up to that point that made it seem like it was plausible that they would be receptive to somebody behaving like that towards them. It's rude. It is rude. So Hannibal should eat their face <laughs> right off their skull. You got. You got to look He's at. He's always it. ready with those like, that knife and fork. Always. There it is. Yeah, with the ripper on a plane. You got to look at look at that kind of thing and go, okay, why isn't this working for me? Why don't I buy this pairing? And 
if you're, if you're, you know, I don't usually read, I'll be honest, I don't usually read with the intention of dissecting somebody's work so that I can figure out what's wrong with it. Um, but if you're trying to improve your writing, and this is something you're trying to work out, it can be really useful to look at something that isn't working for you and going, what is wrong with this that I just don't buy this pairing? Where has this not come together? And sometimes it's in the fact that the writer is just telling you these two are together and that they belong together and they're not in any way showing you anything interesting between the characters. There's no intimacy. There's no, there's no real connection. There's no, um, it's just, I find you hot. I find you hot. Well, if we weren't alone, I'd, I'd bend you over. If we were alone, I'd bend you over this desk and fuck you right now. Oh, that's a little bit forward. Don't you think? Are you complaining? No, I'm not complaining. It's like, that's not hot. And that's not intimacy. And that's not connection. That is very forced. It's like the author's telling me that this is, in, that this is good. And they're not showing me that this is good. So that can be one thing that can help. Um, don't don't do it. I would I would work with like maybe five to ten k if you're going to do something like that. Like go find an unusual pairing that's not your usual thing. And like let's say you're you're a Tony writer and you like Tony Jack. You like Tony. Um, Trying to think of somebody very improbable for Tony to be with. Mr. Woolsey. Dear God, if you can find a Tony Woolsey story, go go look that up and see if it works for you. And if it doesn't go, okay, well, what isn't this not working for me here? Well, why doesn't this work? Tony Kavanaugh or, you know. Um, I just made a terrible face. <laughs> right? My head is strong. <laughs> um, Tony. We both think, we both, okay, we both think Daniel, Daniel Jackson, Tony is implausible. So if you can find a Tony Daniel, which is probably more likely that that exists than Tony Kavanaugh. Um, Cause objectively people tend to, with these rare pairs, at least they more likely they're going to put two hot people together. And that's actually both two very hot actors. So that could exist. It, you know, and you could read that and go, does this work for me? And if it doesn't work for you, look at why. You know um, what would work for me? I'm listening. Tony Dinozo and Stephen Caldwell. It worked for me too. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote yeah. that. Yeah, that worked. That works. That's still on the workshop. I don't think I ever took that down. No, you need to put it on your site. I do. Well, I was going to write an expanded story, but I could just, I've never just one of the things I'm not sure I'm ever going to get around to. So I might just put it up the way it is. See. I think um, it's called, it's in the, it's in that section of the workshop that talks about, it's like snippets and teases and stuff, I think. And it's called yeah. Untitled Untitled Tony Stephen Caldwell Story. Or Yeah, because I was, I was super original with my titling on that one. Um, <laughs> I called it Untitled. Yeah, that, that works. Um, let's see. And we all thought Tony Rampart worked, like, just, you know, objectively. Uh, um, we all just went, oh. But we all reacted to that. Somebody, I don't remember, even remember who suggested it. We all just kind of went, oh, oh. And the first time we thought about the mothership, we were all kind of like, yay. <laughs> I actually would not write Tony Genozo with Jennifer Keller because Jennifer Keller, um, as a character, strives on finding and fixing people. Um, and I don't think she would be any kinder to, to, to kinder to Tony Genozo than she is to Rodney McKay. Whereas Rodney is abrupt and sometimes rude, Tony is um, outgoing. And perhaps too easygoing, and she would see it as a flaw and try to correct it. She's like, okay. she's like Goldilocks, and one's too soft and one's too hard, and and neither one of them would be perfect. Well, but I see. See, for me, that'd be a hard pass. I would never pick it up, right? 
Um, so, okay. So I'm going to throw this out there and I'm going to say that I've never, I've never read any of these because I have no interest in the pairing. It is a hard stop for me in my head, which is Tony Genozo, Tobias Fornell. Okay. And the reason why I throw that one out there is something to consider if you want to go like evaluate, like pairing potential is like, to me, I don't get it. I don't see it. I don't get it. I'm like, what? Um, but there's 26 of them. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's more of that pairing than there is of Tony Jack O'Neill. So, um, I'm trying to figure out why that would happen. And the only thing I can really think is like, it would be just, you know, out of revenge on both their parts to get. Yeah, it could be. I mean, the thing is you, you might, and the thing is in the course of reading that you might find, yeah, this really works for me. Or an author could really sell you. Maybe, maybe you'll read 25 of them and they won't work. And that last one will be like, holy shit, that really works. That's why but, there are 25 other of these. <laughs> right. So the thing is that you could pick up a pairing that at least has, you know, 10, 15, 20 stories and look at them and go, what is it about the ones that work versus the ones that don't? Because that is a very improbable pairing for me. And I wouldn't click on it on a bet at this point, but it works, work for somebody. And maybe somebody has really sold that pairing. Wait, there's a Gibbs dream sequence where Tony ends up in a romantic relationship with Tobias Fornell. No, no, the Kate, the Kate, 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 Kate. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, I was about to say what? No, no. <laughs> That's awfully brave of them. <laughs> a, little, a little braver than I needed them to be. Um, so you could look at, you know, what what uh, about this uncommon thing? Um, there are a lot of like really, uh, to me, improbable Tony Tony pairings out there because he has a fandom bicycles. So people people put him with just about anybody. Um, so you the could, reason he, I don't think he works with Kate or Ziva is neither one of them had any respect for whatsoever for him. Right. So if you, but I do think there's probably some um, some examples out there that are good for in both pairings. I just think you got to do a lot of work on canon to make that actually work. I just wouldn't click on it because it doesn't appeal to me. So. Um, Sometimes if I have a hard no on a chemistry with it, like I, I don't see the character, I'm not going to click on it. I'm like, what? No. And sometimes out on the other hand, I'll see an improbable pairing and I'll tilt my head and go, huh, I wonder what that's like. And that was what it was for me with Tony Dinozo. It Actually, I don't think it's that improbable, but at the time I thought it was improbable the first time I saw Mothership. First time I saw Tony Steve, I, it was Shade Shifter's story. Um, I the, had tilted. And then I, I went, yes. <laughs> I, I had I had tilted and I went, huh. And I clicked on it and started reading. And I was immediately all in. Immediately all in on that. I wanted it to work because at that point is, is when the character of Danny was ruined for me. And I was like, I need I need something. And I wanted it to work. And it was I was really grateful that it did. Yeah, and, and Gibbs character wasn't working for me either. So it's like I've got two characters I like who are without love. And they and they're in the same universe. So, how perfect would that be if it works? And it did. It was like yes. But I did still head tilt that about it first at first, and I was like, I wonder if that could work. But some pairings, I see it and I go, what? No, absolutely I, not. I could see Tony leaving NCIS and moving to New Orleans and hooking up with Dwayne Pride after he gets oh, divorced. Yes. Yes absolutely i did i even plotted one of those i mean i just yeah i see it i plotted it to be after dead air and tony winds up running this little bakery off of uh off um in the french quarter that has the best beignets in the 
Dwayne keeps stopping in there for his coffee. And eventually he recognizes Tony, but Tony's not going by his name. He's going by, you know, he's he's using his middle name and his family, his mother's. So he's going by Dominic Paddington in, in the story. And um, eventually Dwayne finally confronts them. It's like, so do you want to, you know who I am, don't you? And Tony's like, of course I do. Recognize you the first day you came in. <laughs> But you know they they kind of got this like this subtle flirting thing going on you know this way kind of it's a very subtle it grows it doesn't start immediately because the th here's the thing this is one of the things that can kind of be jarring people in law enforcement men in law enforcement do not just meet each other and immediately start the hard flirt no no I would say not I mean, unless you've got a character like Tony who kind of flirts like he breathes right he kind of flirts with everybody um and but that's just kind of a playful flirt don't just meet each other and get up all up in each other's space in public and start flirting. Same thing with military, right? So that can be something that can be, the chemistry has got to be more subtle. It's got to be an appreciation for each other's humor. Or I use that a lot because Tony, I think of Tony as having kind of an offbeat sense of humor sometimes. And something that could draw him to somebody is, is somebody who, who laughs at his jokes, right? Who doesn't find his references, you know, annoying, who thinks he's amusing and appreciates what he brings, that could be a way to make, start making that connection as somebody who, uh, and I do the same thing with Tony Stark too, is um, when Tony feels accepted by somebody for the way he, he is, and it can bring those barriers down because he's not on the defensive. So you just got to look at what keeps, that's one thing to look at too, is what keeps your character from connecting with people and figure out their foil would be the person who is able to get past that. Yeah, and I, I agree, Kai. The testing of the waters with military and law enforcement and that kind of thing is it's it can be very slow and subtle to ensure reciprocation because, you know, and especially like with Tony and somebody in the military, he's going to be very, very careful. I've read stories where Tony is like aggressively flirting with somebody during the don't ask, don't tell years in public. And it's like, wow. That, wow. Tony wouldn't do that. He has too much him. He would have too much respect for somebody he was attracted to 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 ruin their life. Mm -hmm. And during DAT, DATT, that could ruin your life and it could actually put you in prison, depending on the circumstances. There are men who went to prison for being gay in the military. So you got to just be, you just got to be careful. What are you doing? How are you doing it? Um, but that, yeah, so those are also, if you got, if you do, just please, I, um, I shouldn't have to give this disclaimer, but, or this caveat, but I'm going to do it anyway, just in case. If you do pick up an improbable pairing for the purpose of like dissecting it to see how, if the chemistry works or if it doesn't, why don't say anything to the author about it. That's your exercise. And she doesn't, he or she does not deserve your um, analysis. What you think of their pairings chemistry has, it should be kept to yourself. But like I said, Tony is, is a character that is paired with like everybody and their pet poodle. And there probably actually are, literally stories with the pet poodle i haven't seen it but because we don't read that shit <laughs> yeah but you know i wouldn't be surprised so it's easy to find stories with him that you might head tilt sharply at the pairing and if you are it, it could be worth going you know if you don't find it offensive he's also paired with people sometimes that i find fucking offensive it's like what no i'm not gonna say i'm not gonna say poo because that would be rude but sometimes like there's no fucking way tony's gonna sleep with somebody like that so someone who's a criminal and outright active outright criminal you know a real monster um jenny shepherd <laughs> oh same difference <laughs> Ugh. 
You could probably find the Tony Jenny thing, Jenny thing on a um, fanfiction.net. I wouldn't be surprised if there was actually quite a bit of it. I wouldn't either. Um, I don't see Tony actually being involved with someone who was wanted, who was on the most wanted list. I don't think his um his moral compass is that broken. <laughs> no matter how much um no matter how much damage Gibbs has done. Which is why I never bought into the pairing of Ziva after the fact. Um because she went off the rails repeatedly, um, including committing espionage. And I just don't see how Tony I don't see it. No. No. And sometimes, and there are times also where an author might be able to sell a pairing to me on the chemistry, like they might eventually be able to get me on the, but I might find the idea of it so offensive I wouldn't read it no matter what. I don't, because I've had people tell me, oh, the chemistry is amazing. I'm like, oh, hell no. I don't care how, how, how amazing it is. What is it? What does it, what does it say about Tony's character that he's in this relationship? It, often when you see Tony in a relationship like that, it, it looks like he's just got terrible self-esteem. Yeah. And honestly, I don't I don't see a Tony who's gotten really burned by NCIS going to the criminal side of things either. Somebody mentioned something about him being burned. I it maybe leverage level? Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. That'd be fine. But not full on like crime boss kind of thing. A team? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but not like joins the he's, mob. He's kind of fighting the good fight in kind of an unethical way. Yeah, I could deal with that. But but just like, you know, he starts running a cartel or something. I don't think so. I'm, I I pulled the cartel thing out of my ass. I just, that's like. I, we don't know if that actually exists and we don't want to know if it does. If he's running, if there's a fic where he's running a cartel, please don't tell me. Because it's not the way I perceive the character. It would require complete deconstruction of the character that I like to for me to get him there. I don't care how good the chemistry is. Um. I just, I just, no, not even, not even for 3,000 words would I want to see his character. It's character assassination as far as I'm concerned. He's, he's my unicorn. You guys should know this by now. Don't get him dirty. And if he was so disillusioned with law enforcement that he couldn't continue to be um, in law enforcement himself, I just don't see him going to the criminal side of things. I think he would probably, you know, if he needed to like, get away from it, he might change his name and go live in England or something and like run a pub, but he would not become a criminal unless it was like a leverage kind of criminal where there'd be like a good motive you know he'd be doing it with the best of intentions even if he was having to subvert the the actual justice system for something i mean that i could i could you could maybe get me there but but as a writer i couldn't get there actually when i wrote leverage and tony i had to have them be a homeland security sanctioned team yeah because i couldn't actually get there with which I, i couldn't get there with him and actually being a criminal so if anybody has questions, I'm kind of like fizzling out on any tips to give anybody. So if anybody yeah, has questions, me too. drop them in the ask a question thing because we can answer them because we, you know, we're just a little over two hours right now, I think. Mm-hmm, um, just a little. Barely, yeah. We just started a little late. So um, while we're waiting to see if anybody has any questions. I think the most um, important. There, there is one question in here that I wanted to address that. Okay, Alexander, you asked about doing a podcast on writing a summary. Um, No. We have not, and I don't know how we would, uh, because that's a very um, a hands-on kind of subject. It would, it would be it would be difficult to to turn that into a podcast for a whole podcast. We might be able to address it in part, like some tips as part of a writer's table, mm-hmm. but we could try doing a more something more interactive, like um, where, it, but it wouldn't be recorded as a podcast, but it would be like like scheduling scheduling a class session where we, you know, are like 
putting examples in and, you know, saying. I mean, a writing seminar might, might be fun. Yeah. It'd be a little bit different. Spend a weekend doing a podcast. Yeah. We might get some podcasts out of it, but for the most part, I think it would be. There's some things that just work better where you can give examples. And when it comes to like the podcast examples that we type up and give to you are not, they don't translate well or on the air. People listen to it be like, huh? What? <laughs> I don't understand. So, but that we could do, we could still do a like, you know, we're on, we're on the air and we're explaining stuff as we're giving it out. Like here, so like a seminar, we could do that. And there's a couple other topics that, that don't translate as well. But we could, we could take note of the question though, because there's a few tips about writing summaries that we could talk about like in a writer's table, but I don't think it would take more than 10 minutes. And it would actually be a better learning experience and more of a, like I said, like a class setting. So, but um, keep it on the back burner, dude. We shall work on it. I don't think anybody has questions. So if, f for me, my best advice to anybody who was struggling to write a relationship is break it down into its parts. Break it down. You don't need to go all in on everything all at once. You don't need to figure out, you know, flirting and intimacy and, you know, the chemistry and connection thing and evolving relationship and sex. You can work on these in discrete pieces. You can work on and start, the, you know, this is one of those things I think because they build, right? So start at the beginning and figure out how to tackle how to have characters who seem like they connect on the page, right? That they seem like the, that you see a connection between them and you want to turn the page and see what they say next. And that could be actually one of the hardest parts to nail is that connection. But you could just start there, start with working on how do you show the characters connecting? And then you can work on, you know, when you feel like you've got that better, you can work on building intimacy. You can work on, and you know, what touches, you know, just a, a line here or there show that building intimacy, that connection between the characters and show like that kind of sizzle that some characters have. And then, and then you could start working on vague sex and then you could start working on explicit sex if that's the trajectory you want to be on. And if you don't want to be on the sex trajectory, you don't have to be. You can be on the romance trajectory and never write sex. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise unless you're submitting a, a book to an erotica publisher and then they might have something to say about it. <laughs> they, they might have a few specific things that you have to talk about. But on the other hand, if you don't want to write sex, I don't know why you would submit your book to an erotica publisher. But I have learned in the last couple of years that people don't actually pay attention to what the submission guidelines are for publishers. So at all. Maybe there's an arrogance there like, well, maybe they'll make an exception for me because I'm brilliant. <laughs> yeah, because I'm brilliant. <laughs> because I'm brilliant. <laughs> Anyways, um, since we don't really have any more questions, and I feel like we've exhausted this topic, um, and also, I would really like a bowl of cereal right about now. I think we're going to end the podcast. I hope this was very educational, and you guys learned something from it, and um, we shall catch you later. Say goodnight, Jilly. Good night, everyone. <laughs>